This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 168, where we're talking about Luke Cage, season 2, episode 12. Can't front on me. You think I'm holding back? Welcome back, fellow Defenders. It is I, one of your hosts, Chris Jones, talking to you about Luke Cage Season 2, Episode 12, Can't Front on Me. This is Defenders TV Podcast. We're 168 episodes into this thing, and it is good. It is very good. We are on the penultimate episode of Luke Cage Season 2, and my God, ladies and gentlemen, did we get an episode for you. Mm -hmm. I am joined, as always, by... The best defenders money can buy. <laughs> Hello there. Yes, I am one of your hosts, John. Hey there, fellow defenders. I'm your final host, Derek. Welcome back, Chris. Yeah, welcome back. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, my day job, um, my secret identity took me away from you guys. Um, but what can you do? I know we've been speculating that because of the perfection that was episode nine of Luke Cage, that you decided not to return to the podcast because you couldn't think of anything that would be better than episode nine. And then we got the Luke Cage and Danny Rand team up in episode 10. And we got an excellent episode in episode 11 as well with the flashback to, uh, to Jamaica, which you had known was coming all season that there was going to be a flashback episode, uh, but a really well handled episode for episode 11. We got, uh, we got the flashback kind of threaded throughout the episode rather than it being a whole dump of a flashback. What did you think, Chris? So, episode 10, patty cake, patty cake, baker's man. <laughs> that's all that's running through my head. And perhaps one of the best fight scenes of the whole season so far. Mm -hmm. um, really well choreographed, um, using the, the perceived strengths of both of the characters. Essentially, you could see how a Heroes for Hire series could work. Oh, yes. You, like, this was very much, I, I think, a litmus test. And you can see, yeah, yeah, you can really see it, I think. Um, ultimately, you're a really good evolution of the character of Danny Rand. Mm -hmm. You're taking the post-Defenders uh, arc, Danny, and you're putting him into this. So I'm really enjoying it. You can still see some, he has some of his ghosts yes. in the episode. So I'm very intrigued to see where that will take us. Mm -hmm. Going into the flashback episode, you're right, it was handled beautifully. We've gotten a mix of pure flashback nearly, like 90% flashback, 10% yeah. modern day. This 60-40 split, maybe even 70-30, mm. like in terms of modern day to flashback. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go 60-40 because it sounds better. <laughs> but I felt it was better threaded. It was better... Definitely. The pacing was great. I don't know why they chose to go with that version of the origin story for Bushmaster, mm. but I'm not against it. Oh, yeah. Because what I said, we, we've been speculating up to that point that it was purely supernatural, mm -hmm. and essentially it was the, the science versus nature uh, angle that we were taking. Yeah. What now we know is that John McIver got uh, a flu shot, quote-unquote, at some point 
in the which was obviously some kind of experimental test because a lot all the other boys died, John McIver lived. So that changed his genes. He became a special without knowing it. Right. And the nightshade does not give him powers. The nightshade reveals his powers. Exactly. As we kept getting told. Yeah. So what actually we have is special versus special. Yeah. Science versus science. But John McIver Bushmaster needs Nightshade to reveal his yeah. his special. So I it was a unique take. I'm not saying I dislike it. I'm just going, oh, I kind of wish you had a stayed with the, the non-science. Yeah, I mean, me too, a little. Um, and certainly in this episode, I think, uh, given that the nightshade is syringified, then uh, makes it a little more medical. It's a ca- it's a catalyst. Yeah. yeah, I think as we said in the episode, that kind of the idea of having his origin story connected to the nightshade does bring Tilda in as quite a major player because she's the person distributing the nightshade, and as we know in the comic books, she is the character nightshade. So by doing that, you allow two characters from the comic books to come in. If you hadn't, you'd be going back to the idea of him getting the same origin story as Luke, just in a slightly different way, uh, as it was in the comic book. So it's a great idea to have a brand new origin story for him, and it makes a lot of sense, even though there is this kind of mystical element in the background. But yeah, yeah, I really, really enjoyed the episode. It's very, very cool. Uh, I think I said it off air, and I'll say it now in front of everyone. I, I had complained previous episodes about there was a slight slowdown, and I think I, I, I went along the lines of they could have picked up the pace or condensed slightly. This is the least problematic season mm-hmm. I've seen of any of the shows so far. It's very rare that we say something at the start of the season, like in episode two, and go, this is one of the best shows I've seen from Netflix, and by episode 12, I still feel exactly that way. I'm wondering what the hell they're going to do in episode 13 to make me go, actually, this isn't as good as one of the other seasons or another one of the seasons. I think they're pitching this quite well. But we will wait until episode 13 to make our statement on what we think of the entire season. Let's get into episode 12, Can't Front on Me. Yes, but before we do that... If you're just joining us so far, well, you kind of got like 10 minutes so far of me just waffling. You can get access to all of our back issues over at our website of DefendersTVPodcast.com. And hell, you can also jump over to our contact page where you can join us and see us on the groups, on Twitter, uh, on the Facebook. Like my granny says, do you know what? Come on, bring me over to the Facebook, (laughs) which is just scary. Anywho, this episode is also brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium and Wolverine the Long Night, a very special podcast, but I'll tell you more about that later on. But as Derek said, let's get on to this episode. Episode 12, Can't Front on Me. Do you want to give us the episode details? Sure. This episode was written by Aida Mashaka Kowal. We have spoken about Aida many times on the show. She's written two episodes of Jessica Jones. This is our second episode of Luke Cage. And particularly, we also mentioned in the past, I just want to keep repeating this. It's awesome. She is going to be one of the showrunners on the new Why the Last Man series. Sweet. Simply being called Why, which is going to make a huge problem tweeting about it. <laughs> why are you just calling it Why? It's like titular title is Why the Last Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll understand why they call him why the the last man from the story, but are they literally just gonna like they don't want to give away the part <laughs> that he's the last man? No, I think that's the opening scene. I have a feeling this series is as the comic books did. It's going to focus on so many female heroes, female characters. There's there's yeah. hundreds of them throughout the full issues of the of the book, 
And there's only one man in the entire series. So I think they are partially saying this actually isn't his, isn't just his story. Uh, that is the setup for the six or seven seasons of the show that's going to go out. But yeah, calling a show a one letter word is pretty difficult. It's like that movie It. How did that ever get any kind of pickup on social media? Because the, the, le- the two letters of It are almost impossible to tweet and not connect to everything else in the universe. So it'll be interesting. What do you mean? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> hashtag It Forever. There you go. Or hashtag Just Why. <laughs> oh my god, that's what we're going to end up having to do. There you go. Talking about that show. There you go. But really looking forward to Why the Last Man when it does come out, hopefully in the next year or so. Uh, this episode was directed by Everardo Gauch. This is his first time on a Marvel TV show. He's done about nine episodes of the National Geographic drama um, Mars, which I haven't actually seen, but I've heard quite good things about. It's been confirmed for another season, I think. So he has provided a pretty good episode in here for his first direction in a Marvel show. So hopefully he'll be back. Oh, yeah, he does a great um, episode here. Mm-hmm. Get everything from a Romero-like zombie moment at the beginning of the episode to a huge big battle. So he gets loads of opportunity to flex those directing muscles. We even get a, effectively a musical video for, for KRS-One in this episode. So quite cool. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Luke Cage joins forces with John McIver to combat a new strain of heroin taking to the streets of Harlem. The new Bushmaster drug forms part of Mariah's new plan to destroy John McIver and unite the criminal factions of New York with Mariah Stokes at its head. Elsewhere, Shades gives up everything as he confesses to Misty Knight and Priscilla, who believe in the old adage that the guilty man always sleeps, and Shades is making his play for the King of Harlem. As Shades plows ahead with his plan, the police focus on Mariah's 38mm gun, just as Mariah announces a massive party at Harlem's Paradise to draw Bushmaster out once again after her plan with Yang is thwarted by Bushmaster and Luke Cage. That evening, the secret arrival of a nightshade-jacked Bushmaster at Harlem's Paradise to kill Mariah and the arrival of Shades with Harlem's finest and a search warrant sees the party truly kick off. As Luke and Misty are able to stop Bushmaster and protect Mariah, but Bushmaster manages to escape once again. However, in all the confusion of the fight, an ivory-handled 38mm revolver is revealed and seals the fate of Mariah Stokes as she is arrested and led away. You know, we sometimes struggle, I will admit, over the course of 13 episodes of any of the Netflix shows to find our top five points. Sometimes we throw in, you know, a a music moment as one of our top five points because the episode's a bit light on details, light of information. This one we definitely could have done 10 points on, couldn't we? This is so so much going on. Oh, loads. For example, our first point, bullet point number one, this normally would be an entire episode of the show. We have Bushmaster and Luke Cage teaming up to take down some criminals. That's kind of a huge huge moment and it's just the beginning of the episode we see that a new strain of drug has been released on the streets by mariah in cooperation with yang the head of the uh, chinese crime family in new york where they've created the bushmaster drug in order to kill people or seriously harm people on the streets so that the name of bushmaster is dragged through the mud i loved this opening scene i mentioned it earlier on it really does feel like effectively something like 28 days later or 28 weeks later those type of zombies where you have them snapping and biting at other people in this room lit up in red as everybody's dancing as dw's at a party Uh, it's a cool cool opening and a really surprising opening for this show i thought i was kind of wondering is this what the rest of the season is going to be about is going to be luke cage versus marvel zombies (laughs) i did not know where they were going with this. Mm-hmm. I literally was like, 
did I skip ahead? <laughs> I had to do the pause on Netflix to go, wait, hold on. Did Netflix just glitch and bring me like <laughs> yeah. to like a different show? <laughs> and, and it's just the same character, or a guy who looks like DW. I was just like, okay, this is interesting. At least now we have the possibility of rabid zombies. Right. Yeah. So this drug in there now, the storyline of season three could be, hey, someone has amped up Bushmaster the drug and suddenly we have an army of rabid zombies running around and it's up to obviously never going to happen. But the possibilities there. Yeah, it would be cool to see Marvel zombies take on New York and obviously then we could get that crossover, Marvel zombie Steve Rogers. Well, if Robert Kirkman wants to take some time out from working on The Walking Dead, he can come over and translate his comic book into a, into a series for Netflix. You never know. Uh, the Defenders Zombies. Moving it on from there, you're right. This is all around, as we learn throughout this episode, that it's about dragging Bushmaster's name through the dirt. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the two of them said it, they are mirrors of each other. Yes. Uh, and then I believe it is a Nancy's wife who says... The only difference I can see is that John allows his anger to roll out of him. Mm-hmm. You bottle it up on the inside. Yeah. yeah. And you're kind of going, oh, wow. So, okay, back in the comics, they, they, they were a similar power set mm-hmm. of, uh, of kind of super powered individuals. Yeah, created in a very similar way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what we're getting here now is they're humanizing Bushmaster so well mm-hmm. yeah. that we enjoy a bloody team-up between these exactly, two. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Like, seeing them fighting and swinging in a, an abandoned warehouse, I was like, I want a series of this. Mm-hmm. This is literally Lethal Weapon, the dirty cop and the, <laughs> the, the good cop together. I could so do this. Yeah, it was really, really good, wasn't it? I mean, even just that, you know, don't kill anyone, and you, you see Bushmaster... To having to restrain his anger <laughs> that he, he likes to let forth uh, onto the world uh, was really really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I and I also loved the fact that you know this was Mariah's play to sort of dirty his name, uh, get him to break cover to come after her, but also to form this United Nations of crime with uh, you know the the Chinese, the Italians, uh, and so on. This kind of plan with yang was was good but just that moment in the auction house i absolutely loved where um she's kind of putting herself forward to the other crime families it's just so so good this is what i love about black mariah she's manipulative she's saying i'll let the walls down in harlem so that you can you know do your thing for for a cost uh, and here then she's also cleaning that money um through the auction with her book that she's put up and she is looking for what 10 million or something like that uh, plus the book to come back so that she can clean all this money and, and put herself at the head of these crime families as she says as she walks out of the you need to put cheese in in the trap to catch the rat as then uh, bushmaster uh, and luke uh, take that that cheese uh, at the the warehouse. I love the massive gun, the kind of proper military machine gun on the tripod being fired 
um, out the back of a van at Luke. And yeah. Because you really sense that he's taking those bullets. Absolutely. Um, really, really cool. It's such a cool effect because you're now seeing it. Uh, done really well in this episode as you see bits of Luke's uh, clothing pop off as little gunshot wounds start to appear on him with no impact on his body underneath. You know, he's much stronger, much more powerful in season two, as we've talked about before, um, because of what's happened to him in season one. He's much more strong. So seeing these moments live on screen as bits of his costume start to pop off as he's getting hit by the bullets is very cool really really well done it does also as you say chris it does also humanize bushmaster and it's a great choice to go back to episode one because effectively this is exactly what was done with luke at the beginning of the series we see the challenge with luke because he's going well my name is being pulled through the mud in new york and this exact same thing is happening to bushmaster such a good choice but we do see their team up ends at the moment when bushmaster goes well they're never going to drag my name through the mud again. I'm going to blow up the entire facility. And we have the bomb being reintroduced once again. I love that just after three or four days of being brought back from the dead by Tilda, Bushmaster is still willing to stand in the middle of an explosion again and take the take the full force hit of it because of how bad this is on his name. But he doesn't get the opportunity. Luke takes the bomb, sticks it in his hands, and has the explosion go off. This time, unlike the grenade, though, he gets blown back quite far it's a much heavier bomb than he's dealt with before the hammer tech i think is going to be around for a while mm-hmm. this allows the the creators the directors behind the the show to go we need an iron man level explosion mm-hmm. ah hammer tech um what i did enjoy is luke seems still to be powering up this bomb did about as much damage to him as the grenade, but it just, the, the, the concussive force knocked him back. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Essentially, what we got is in season one, he was powered. Mm-hmm. When he went back through the bath, he became super powered. And as Claire says at the beginning, we don't know where your strength limit is now. Absolutely, yeah. His unbreakable skin is essentially continuing to evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, because that would have hurt him in earlier in season, in season two. Every director, every writer can tweak the, the power levels of a, of a superhero mm-hmm. to fit the story. But I just, I thought this was really good. Like, this was a, like a shotgun knocked him so far out a window and stuff earlier in this season. Yeah. A six barrel shotgun, I should exactly. say. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say it was quite powerful shotgun. <laughs> but in this was a hammer tech explosive that completely obliterated a, um, a, a police van mm-hmm. earlier. So what we're seeing is he is, he is getting stronger. He's learning to channel that. But uh, look, all I'm saying is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. And cool, I have cool. to say the team up between the two of them was really good. I loved yeah. the fight scene. Again, they're doing a really good job in this season, getting the fight scenes right for the power set that we have between these guys. You know, they do fight differently as they should to Iron Fist and to Daredevil that we've seen in previous seasons. Luke has always been a bit of a brawler. So they do get a really good job with these two characters in this scene. Yeah, I mean, I think it was nice having them team up here because it really linked back to the last episode where they're looking at Anansi's body and Mm. you get that sense of mutual respect no matter how much they maybe don't fully agree with one another and won't be brothers. 
but it's kind of nice that it almost it picks up from that here but then immediately falls apart again you know when Bushmaster is I have to go after uh, Mariah yeah. and that that this brief team up is kind of shattered in that moment mm-hmm. as he passes off the hammer tech to, to Luke yeah who uh, sweet Christmas Lee uh, is knocked off his feet yeah. <laughs> essentially we even get uh, Bushmaster try a cheeky uh, hammer to the back of Luke yes where they're midway fighting it's just like I'm gonna still gonna try and hit my ally just to see can I hurt him mm-hmm. Like I just, I mean, you see him turn around. You see Luke Cage go, "Come on!" <laughs> um, I did finally love that the hammer scene where Luke stops him from killing, where it's you see Bushmaster bring a hatchet down, mm-hmm. front sided after fighting with the backside for so long. Yeah, as he's about to kill him, and then what we get is Luke go no, grabs him, and then he just flips it back around and then smacks the guy with the flat side. Yeah. Seeing that, plus him hanging to the bars, using his more agile self, very, very, very cool. Mm -hmm. But speaking of very, very, very cool, let's move on to the one and only. Let's talk about shades, wearing shades in a in a shadeless environment, (laughs) which is also known as a police cell. Yes, yes. Bullet point number two, shades interrogation. Oh, what a scene. Some fantastic moments in here from Theo Rossi again. Just the way he's maniacally laughing through all of these murders he's committed, all of the things that he's been involved in over the year, tying in all of the moments that Misty couldn't put her finger on exactly what was happening, exactly who was behind it. She had some of the pieces to put them together, but sitting in a room with shades as he talks about, you know, tone being thrown off the top of a building and laughs about the fact that he screamed all the way down to the ground. You know, the fact that the change that happened when Pop's barbershop was shot up by by Tone in the first place, that this was something that it was Switzerland to all of the people in Harlem. Nobody would touch Pop's and then this kid comes in angry, shoots up Pop's barbershop and that changed everything for Canal. It it put him off set and changed everything for all of this group. It's such an interesting scene all all told through the eyes of Shades. Yeah, I mean, talk about flashbacks uh, and reliving. Uh, This was a talk back that really encompassed everything up to that point Mm -hmm. in uh, Luke Cage. And it it was just so well done. I mean, I thought Shades was kind of, you know, his laughing, was it slightly maniacal? Uh, Was he going crazy? Uh, Was it just that it was cathartic? He was all this... Um, could be let out because he has this plea deal. Um, and I, I thought it was uh, really cool. And I, I, I think just seeing Misty over the course of this interview get more angry and more frustrated. You know, you could see it that it was uncomfortable for her. I thought that was really, really good. And I like earlier where uh, Shades is, you know, he's asleep on the table. Uh, Misty and Priscilla are uh, in the observation room behind the one-way glass. And, um, you know, they're just making this point is, is this just to make a play against Mariah? Because effectively, he is putting Mariah out to dry here, uh, along with the whole Stokes family name. And he can just be open, honest, let everything out because he's got this deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love the fact that it, it just switches with, um, you know, Misty 
sensing the the moment in the story where it gets difficult for him with Comanche and then the moment where Comanche's mom walks in um on him spits in his face and you know Misty sort of brings it back to this this 38 millimeter um bullet and, and the gun and shades is kind of like I've just given you everything what you know what else do you want and and she wants the gun. And I, I just thought this whole interview was just so good with oh, yeah. Shades. Um, and I really, really enjoyed him going from this cocky, laughing Shades to a little struck down by, by Misty and the arrival of Comanche's yeah. Uh, mom. Yeah, absolutely. Like, what a way to twist the knife into Shades than to have Comanche's mother in the in the next room. You can really tell this show is written in a writer's room because some of this stuff is seeded earlier on in the season. We saw a moment with Comanche's mom where Shades is going in saying, I'm going to take care of you. And she is reacting to him knowing something is wrong with what he's saying. And we didn't really know where that was going to come back in the future. The other thing that's in here that I really loved is... Again, another thing seated earlier on in the season, we saw the boy that was saved in Pop's Barbershop by Luke Cage in season one. We saw him with the Stylers driving up on him and him making a phone call to his mother saying, stay inside. His mother is the attorney that's supposed to be representing Shades. And then when she finds out that it was his crew that tried to shoot up Pop's Barbershop, she recuses herself and says, I hope you burn in hell to Shades. It's a great moment. And I love that this is something seated back from the start of the season and playing out now in episode 12. Before I get into anything, I have a question. What exactly is the plea deal? Did I just miss this? What's explained by the DA's uh, representative that's in the room is that every single thing that's mentioned in this room, Shades cannot be held accountable for. So part of the reason why he's laughing through some of the deaths that are in there is kind of a a throw to Misty saying, this is everything I've done and these are the things you can't prosecute me for. And eventually he will give the information that will take down Mariah. And once Mariah's taken down, he gets to walk free. And all of those things and crimes that he's admitted to are wiped off the slate. Okay. Yeah, it's it's the prophet. Uh, you know, he, he asks, is the prophet still valid when the attorney has to recuse herself? Mm-hmm. So he's essentially, he's he's a free man. Yeah, he's running through absolutely everything yeah. so that he has effectively no criminal record yeah. left. Basically, yeah. That's what I assumed. It's just the fact that he went settle in. This is going to be a, like a long ride because he started mm-hmm. away at the beginning. Because they they don't explicitly say he gets to walk. Like yeah, he's. They don't explicitly say you're a free man. That kind of thing. I get it, but I just wanted to make yeah. sure that I wasn't like he, he. Okay, you have you're you get a reduced sentence kind of thing yeah no it was it was the same offer that was on the table for mariah effectively that they've put together for shades and i think that's where we see that turn in misty when she walks out of the room to get him some bottled water and she starts to kind of fall apart as she goes out it is that moment where he's just admitted to killing candace something that misty has blamed herself for since season one it was all on her she thought that candace died and Shades niggles at her. Shades basically tells her that's exactly what yeah. happened. By her leaving her phone behind, he picked it up and took the opportunity to take out the only person that could have connected Mariah to the death of Cornell Stokes. And Misty's falling apart where she's going, and I can't put him in prison for that. I can't put him behind bars for that because Mariah is the bigger threat. Yeah. I think Theo Rossi should get a bloody Emmy for this. 
mm-hmm. this role alone, particularly and in specifically for this episode. Mm. The, the the range he does, which is, as you say, he goes from midway through, like he, he has this gangster vibe at the beginning where he is manic. Yeah. Yeah. He does not care. Yeah. It's almost heady. It's exactly. like he's on a drug yes. or something. Yeah. It's like I get to confess mm-hmm. until he gets that part about uh, Nancy. I had to rewind it because like, you can actually see Theo Rossi's face drop. Yeah. Like, it just all crashes down. So, would it be bad to say, I want Shades as an anti-hero in season three? <laughs> no, it's the performance of Theo Rossi is just so fantastic. We definitely don't want to lose his role in these shows. Yeah. Um, and effectively, if this all works out, we won't. Yeah. He's going to be the King of Harlem, effectively, if everything's going the way it seems to be going towards the end of this episode. He's around for a long time because he's effectively just wiped the slate clean and Mariah's being sent off to prison. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. We could have him back on the street. Now, remember, again, if he commits another crime, Misty's able to take him down, but she's never been able to pin it on him before. So, um, so yeah, he could be in a really good position at the end of the season. And I, I, I'm not saying that I agree with Shades. Mm, but I like his position in that he's like, there's rules. You do not break the rules of the streets. Yes. Like, like, like they, there are rules for a reason. You don't cross them because if you cross them, then they cross them. And then it's just this escalating. The violence outdoes, it needs to be outdone by another set of violence and so on mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah. Like, I think we talked about on the previous episode about one of the rules that, that Shades has is that he doesn't kill innocents. So as long as he can justify it in his mind by these rules, he can work out whether someone's innocent in his mind or not. You know, he saw the people in Gwen's restaurant as being innocents because technically a lot of them were just patrons of the restaurant. They didn't have any real connection to Bushmaster. Therefore, if it's just a message you're sending, you've sent a message by killing the people you've killed. You don't have to hunt down every single person that was in there and kill them. And then he justifies the murder of Candace, which is almost the same situation. She happened to witness something, but he's effectively turned that into, well, she's not innocent anymore because she witnessed something and she could take us down. Yeah, it's the rules. It's the code that ultimately he uses to justify his own actions. But mm-hmm. actually, you see it on the face of Misty, Priscilla, even Comanche's mom that, okay, they're just your rules, exactly. but they happen to be illegal <laughs> in that sense. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, they sound kind of honorable, maybe, like with Comanche, where he says that second shot, which, I mean, I love that part where he goes, that second shot that he takes is to put Comanche, his friend, out of his misery. But yeah, that's what undoes him. So I thought that was really good, you know, um, but ultimately it's just his code. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. And speaking of that, then when we get Comanche's mum come in, like mm-hmm. that was just heartbreaking. It was, wasn't it? She knew he had something to do with it, but that it was still heartbreaking to watch. The, like, also, she spat on his face. Ew. Ew. Yeah, harsh. Uh, harsh. Can I just point out one tiny thing here? Um, and I, I don't know. Maybe it's just, you know, the meta knowledge outside of these series. But there is a moment there where where Shades talks about knowing that Comanche was the rat. Yeah? Yeah. Of course it was going to be him because Shades trusted him with the information. But he lists off the people that were there when Cornell Stokes threw Tone off the top of Harlem's Paradise. And mentions, as we knew because we saw the episode, mentions Turk Barrett was right there beside them. Luke's already called out he's the biggest rat in the entire city. Why did he not suspect that Turk was a rat at all? 
Because yeah. Turk has gone straight and is now in a head shop. That's all that matters. He is, but Luke tracked him down to find out where Bushmaster was because he's the biggest rat in the entire city. <laughs> yeah, just, I, I love that. I just, I just thought it was a really nice touch where actually what Shades is saying, the reason I knew it was Comanche is because that's what would hurt the most if it was Comanche. And he was proven right. He followed Comanche because of that instinct he had and then found out. But it just, it just struck me as a funny moment that he could have possibly gone to Turk and blamed him for what, everything that happened and Turk could have twisted it around or something. But, but will we see, I think, another betrayal or the acknowledgement of a betrayal here because uh, I think with bullet point three super nightshade uh, we have Tilda um, absolutely turning against her mother she had walked in at the last episode to say I didn't want anything to do with you you know Mm -hmm. giving it large I love the moment in the graveyard where you know you're wondering who she is speaking to uh, in the grave or beyond the grave, maybe, um, <laughs> and, and it's Cornell. Yes. But she now knows who she is, and this is where she absolutely aligns herself with Bushmaster, so that she gives him super-duper nightshade in concentrated format. You know, it's kind of like protein shake nightshade <laughs> that sends him over the edge. I really have to say that special guest star Cornell Stokes in this episode was really important to have special guest star <laughs> Cornell Stokes. Unfortunately, has a gravestone in this season. Um, but I think it is really important that Tilda is accepting everything that's going on. You hear the way she describes her birth at the hands of her uncle and her mother as being Stokes twice over, um, which makes her more Stokes than anybody else has ever been. It's kind of a really interesting way for her acceptance of who she is and where she's come from. Um, she talks about the fact that Cornell was always pushing her to play music and play what's on the inside, but she could never delve that deep inside of herself. And now she says, now I know what's always been on the inside and it's rotten and dirty and I'm going to fall into it effectively. She was going to accept it and become what has been on the inside of her all along. There is also another choice for Tilda here. She could have gone, I'm not going to be the Stokes that all the rest of the family have been. Well, yeah, a good person and not go off and help out Bushmaster with this supersized nightshade. Definitely. And I mean, I, I like the fact that she, you know, she gives him intel about the secret passages um, that nobody knows so that mm-hmm. he can get into the club without going past the bouncers. Although, to be honest, I don't think the bouncers really would have mattered if he injects himself with the, the nightshade that she gives him. Um, they and, didn't seem to when he actually bumped into a few of them. <laughs> exactly. The room. But I, I love it when she, um, you know, she's waiting for him outside the club um, down the side of it. And he, and he arrives and she goes down there and he does turn around and say, wait here, you know, and she does like, mm-hmm. is this kind of like an, a nice alignment of these two families that have split, you know, were together, did the Bushmaster room, set up Harlem's paradise, split acrimonious murder, all that. And maybe this is the start of, um, the MacIver and the Stokes family coming back together. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that idea in yeah. a sense, and um, this full circle, Absolutely. this this rebirth of that uh, alliance. And um, given that Mariah is so hell bent on never having heard about that alliance, burying it and forming this kind of new uh, crime syndicate that she's trying to do. Yeah, my enemy's enemy is my friend. Is what we're learning here. It always is. Never anything different. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to say, called it, not to the extent that I kind of have been prattling all season on, but team uh, hashtag Tilda ain't so innocent, 
or ain't a hundred percent innocent. I'm gonna give you half a point, Chris. If this was if this was a game show, I'll give you half a point for saying that by the end of the series she'll have teamed up with Bushmaster. I do think she's innocent. I think as we discussed at the beginning of the season or early on in the season, this is about her transformation into helping out Bushmaster. And she still doesn't seem like she's all bad. She's effectively going, Well, Mariah needs to be taken out. I know who to join up with to get that done. I agree. She is getting closer and closer to being Black Tilda. The, the daughter of Black Mariah. Mm-hmm. Every action she takes moves her closer to being, as we saw with Bla- with Mariah Dillard, becoming Mariah Stokes, becoming Black Mariah. Every action she takes moves them closer. So mm-hmm. they very much have set her up as she now has the ability to be the next Mama Mabel. Maybe. I think I'm still kind of going, now that now that Mariah is on her way to jail, Tilda could now walk away because Bushmaster has accomplished effectively his goal, even though he didn't kill her. Mariah is off the table now, going off to prison. We've only got one episode left, so we're not really too sure what that means. We'll see next episode. But Tilda has the opportunity now to go away and leave. She hasn't made any indication that she wants Harlem for herself at all at this stage. All she said up to now is saying... I'm going to give this to Bushmaster so that Bushmaster can accomplish his goal of taking down Mariah, which is now also my goal. Um, So I don't know whether there's another step beyond that. It absolutely could happen in episode 13. We'll obviously see that after we talk about this episode. But um, I'm not too sure whether she's ever made a claim to want anything more than her life to come back. And the only way she can do that is by taking down Mariah. What I do think is interesting is that she gives Bushmaster quite a huge warning before she gives him that syringe saying... Don't take all of this at one time, because not only will it give you all the power, you also could kill yourself and lose your mind. And what does he do? Sticks it right in his neck just before he goes in and takes the whole lot of it. Will we see a completely dismantled Bushmaster in episode 13? Yeah, make us drowsiness, palpitations, and heart flutters. <laughs> Don't, operate. <laughs> Don't operate heavy machinery. <laughs> uh, I did say potential. So I'm in agreement with you. It all comes mm-hmm. down to the next thing. I think there's an ability for her to become bad. Oh, yeah. As with all of these shows, everybody has the ability to go bad. If, if you have the newspaper seller down the road who gets uh, whose mother gets killed, potentially he could be a bad guy for season four or season three. So, or like um, a little yeah. boy walking with his parents back from a cinema. Um, like You never know. If they get killed, he may become like a vigilante. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I really did enjoy the power that the Super Nightshade gave him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So when you have a drug-based ability, like mm-hmm. with John McIver and Bushmaster, so in the flashback episode when he's healing, you see the the, the red eyes, the bulging kind of the, the, the veins, and then we see that as well here when he basically supersizes himself. Mm-hmm. Um, much like McDonald's, but without the Happy Meal. Other fast food restaurants are available. Yes, also, of course. Uh, I don't know what the Burger King version of the Happy Meal is, or the Super Size. Whopper. Oh, the, he whoppered himself. No, that sounds wrong. <laughs> you do see him speed up. You see him almost bulk up, but he doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. Just everything. Look, that kind of the perfect kind of segue over to bullet point number four, which is the the safe room falls. Her brand new safe room, I know. <laughs> yeah, he really puts his new strength and powers to to the test here mm-hmm. in uh, this big 
battle at Harlem's Paradise. Yeah, yeah. Just before we get into the the actual fight in the safe room, I just want to mention that moment where we have Luke challenging Black Mariah in the club, where he goes to visit her and effectively lays out what he knows Black Mariah has done to Mariah Stokes. And I'm making that distinction because Mariah Stokes does as well. She still doesn't own up to anything that she's done in the past. She effectively looks caged in the eyes and goes, I've always lived my life in opposition, which is exactly what Senator Stokes would say, or Senator Dillard would say if somebody is talking to her in a political sense. And then she turns it back on him and goes, and you're going to save me. It doesn't really matter what I do because you're here. You're my hero. You're going to save me. I love that moment uh, where Luke is just turning away from her and going, I can't, this can't be my life. My life is to stop people like you. And you've turned it into me protecting you at all times. As Mariah rubs his cheek and goes, you're the only man I've ever been able to trust. The only man who will ever save me in my life. You're my chocolate boy scout. (laughs) It's just so creepy that she's able to elicit this response at Luke just at the drop of a hat. Yeah, even to the point where he has to take that slug of Bushmaster rum, kind of just to calm his nerves or something. Um, yeah, this is this is absolutely um, one of my favorite scenes um, from from this episode mm-hmm. because it's this relationship that is there, and Luke doesn't want that relationship at all yeah. uh, it is so one-sided and it's pure manipulation you know from the councilwoman and it is her still reeling off the fact that the world owes her you know we saw that uh, when she's confronted with the the specters of uh, mama mabel and uncle pete mm-hmm. in the episode before and here again it's like you know you think i am the one that needs to be crushed. I'm the one that's always been on the back foot, always had to fight uh, in order to do anything in in Harlem. Um, And yeah, just the moment where she says, you are the only man I can trust, will always come to save me, um, is fantastic. Luke leaves in disgust and she sets up the the big party at Harlem's Paradise um, so that everyone is in town, Everyone is at the club um, when she is expecting to be uh, attacked and confronted by Bushmaster. I mean, what a woman. Yeah. So good. Love this character. And she even calls it out at the time. She even says, I know your weakness. Your weakness is Harlem. You know, it's <laughs> that, that moment where she knows how to get to Luke and manipulate him is just, all I have to do is put the residents of Harlem in danger. <laughs> and that's what she does. She sets up a gig with KRS-One, one of the probably the most well-known East Coast rappers, setting that gig up with a legendary rap star, as she calls out herself, will draw out a huge amount of collateral damage, as described by by oh. Luke. I love that scene where he's sitting down with Sugar and, and DW back in Pops, and DW is getting all excited, going, can I go? Can I not go to this gig? It's <laughs> pretty big. <laughs> I do feel the club wasn't as packed as I expected it to be, but they do have bounces on the door, so they're probably trying to limit it, limit the people coming in. But, um, but yeah, very cool, very cool to have this in here and just the manipulation of mariah once again is so well done throughout this season yeah that scene where we started this it really perfectly encapsulates this season in the mm-hmm. so the duality of luke the duality of black mariah the duality of tilda the duality of shades like yeah. every character has two parts to them two com- competing elements yeah, we always say that this penultimate episode is really the season finale, and yeah. the next episode is the the the, the cleanup. 
I agree with you, Chris. It's one of those really interesting things. Duality has always formed part of comic book superheroes back from the 40s and 50s when they were created. There's always been this duality. There's always been the public side and the private side. Or the public side is the vigilante and the private side is an unmasked version. What's always interesting about these characters is you have someone like Mariah Stokes, who is the ultimate duality. She is the major villain, the leader of the criminal underworld in Harlem. And she is also a person running for Congress, a person running for office, a a public servant. Yet she wears no mask. And both of those sides are available for people to view if they're willing to dig deep enough. But I love how it works in this series. I love how the character is written, particularly her. There is this idea of duality, as we've seen in comic books for years, but she doesn't really hide it other than by saying different words to different people. Exactly. It's the Norman Osborn, uh, Green Goblin. It's the Kingpin, Wilson Fisk. Yes, except Green Goblin did have a mask and through fiery pumpkins. <laughs> but also ran for Congress and became president in some of the mm-hmm. universes. True. Yeah. I just mean there's no mask, there's no superhero suit that Mariah puts on to become Black Mariah. She is Black Mariah and Mariah Stokes at the flip of a word at the end of a sentence. That's all it takes for her to twist into another character. Yeah, she's a politician. Um, Politicians everywhere. (laughs) So I suppose moving it on, we do get a fantastic battle here, gents. What did we think? I love the fact that they tied everybody into Harlem's Paradise. It's it's hugely important because there is that idea that having this free gig with KRS-1 there... You know, just such a well-known artist that what a great idea. What a great way to just go. Everybody's going to be there. Well, actually, everybody is there. We've got Luke. We've got Misty. We've got the entire team of the police there. Shades comes back. We've got Mariah there. Bushmaster arrives. Tilda standing outside. This is all of our major characters for the season, all pretty much in one location. Because exactly as Mariah says, well, nobody'd miss out this moment. The reason nobody misses out the moment is not because of the presence of a big rapper on stage. It's because this is where the big showdown is going to happen. This is our big moment. I think, as you said, Chris, the penultimate episode often does feel like the end of the series. And then the aftermath happens in episode 13. This is probably our big fight, right? This is our, our big takedown moment, even though Bushmaster doesn't succeed. This felt really epic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the fight. Uh, I loved how it all is kicking off with Mariah and Shades in her safe room, in her panic room, in her lair, if you will. Yeah. Uh, really, really enjoyed that Mariah is exposing the wiretap on Shades, you oh, know, yeah. with the gun. And then he seemingly is there to protect her. But then by the end of all this fighting, um, He's the with the the pistol handing it over to Misty. Uh, you know they think everything is lost, and it's just been like at one massive nightmare for them. For the cops, Bushmaster's gotten away. Uh, Mariah seems to be untouchable. I love that this is all going on in the background. You know, it, it's a bit like this revolver being kicked around the floor by different people, and mm-hmm. the camera occasionally follows it whilst there is this epic fight going on. Uh, I love Bushmaster kicking Luke through the same window that Cornell uh, Stokes had passed through. Yeah, I I was wondering whether this is like Jessica Jones' door in season one of Jessica Jones. Will we always have a moment where that window is smashed (laughs) out and somebody falls through? (laughs) I loved how um, the banister bends and you really get the sense that Luke is taken out, you know, for a moment there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, we were discussing it afterwards, uh, just this idea of all the flashing disco lights around there. It really gave a sense of luke's disorientation yeah but it also felt like because it was red that it maybe he was injured more so than what we had seen so far this season 
it felt to me like, you know, those comic books where you have somebody hit over the head and they have those kind of flashing lights over their head to indicate that they've been hurt or that indicate that they've been knocked unconscious. You know, that's exactly what the flashing lights above his head in this scene looked like. It just looked more painful than it should have have been and probably obviously was. Um, yeah, really liked it. Some really nice things. Just calling out the fact that Mariah says to Shades, come on down to my lair. So she is calling it a lair. She knows she's a villain. And the fact that Luke called pops his lair when he was talking to Danny Rand back in uh, back in episode 10. Um, I like this idea that they're all they all feel they have their lair. <laughs> but throughout that fight with Bushmaster, as he destroys every single thing she's put into her brand new safe room, um, did we get our smallest hallway fight so far with Luke and Bushmaster in the hallway into the uh, safe room after he knocks out the door and you see them just battling back and forth in about a six foot hallway or a seven foot hallway. <laughs> yeah. I was happy with how the fight took place. Mm-hmm. I was happy with the, the usage of Luke's powers. Mm-hmm. Then seeing Misty to a degree going toe to toe for a second. Oh yeah. With Bushmaster and how he was trained in that way in that she's using her metal arm. Yeah. Like she's yeah. using the bionic arm to kick us. Well, basically she's the one that stops. Mariah from having her head squished in yeah. the hands of, of Bushmaster. She is the one that saves Mariah. Yeah. As, unfortunately, Bushmaster is speechifying. Uh, just before he crushes her head, uh, he starts talking to her, giving the opportunity for Misty to uh, to stop him. Um, but yeah, I have to say, as, as you mentioned, Chris, those powers of Luke's actually changing the camera focus to being a first-person camera as Luke is doing his Rocky-like punches to the face of Bushmaster and does beat him to the ground yeah that was really really so good. good um and and the uppercut that he does and you see him fly through the air onto the um the coffee table mm-hmm. i like i just thought that was so so good um you, you know he's gonna this is it i'm gonna end it you know you see luke step up because this is what the third or fourth fight between these two guys yeah. and, and it's gradually moved through to where um luke is getting the upper hand and this just really cements that in 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 this moment and yeah to finish it off with that uppercut was just really really good yes so not the upper hand john the uppercut uh yes i know i know yeah. creed 2 is filming at the moment the the rocky sequel or the creed sequel uh when when they're looking for a director for creed 3 i think they couldn't do uh far wrong with bringing in Ever- everardo grout uh, who directed this episode to direct that uh what a great job yeah so that's kind of where i wanted to just really credit him on the, the TV show Mars that he does when he directs it and produces some of the episodes. It's a lot of it. It's in small locations. Mm-hmm. So it's in a room, a single room on Mars in a kind of colony type bunker shelter. Okay. So a lot of the stuff he does is single roomed and just, he uses the space really well. And if we think back, a lot of this episode is that, it's a central room, so the interrogation room, mm-hmm. the safe room. Mm-hmm. But they, when they do these things in there, they, there's a lot of different shots, angles. So I'm assuming like he got the actors to redo a lot of their like. It's like we're going to play this scene twelve times, but at each time I'm going to be standing here, 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 Maybe, here. Yeah. Just loved it. Loved seeing Luke get thrown through the the slats. Uh, yes. uh, like. Seeing Luke destroy a 50-inch TV hurt mm-hmm. me. <laughs> what I, I, I think is the, the most interesting thing is where is Bushmaster going to be after this? Yeah. 
So, like, he has disappeared. Uh, and we also know that Tilda was like, this will potentially change you forever. What is that change? So I'm yeah. very interested to see how the fact that the safe room has fell, that Mariah is taken away, that uh, Shades is free, this one scene changes the season. Yeah, absolutely. One final point on this battle and talking about a change, really. We have got Luke with Bushmaster in, in a headlock. Um, he's grabbing him by a headlock. I thought he was kind of trying to do a sleeper hold kind of move. He's trying to knock him out by by pushing and squeezing. But then we have that moment where Mariah is shouting at him as Black Mariah once again, going, break his neck, Luke, as if she's in control of him. Do we think that's kind of like the Emperor talking to Luke in uh, Return of the Jedi, where he's trying to force him to do his bidding, and that's that moment that breaks him out of what he's doing to realize, actually, I shouldn't be doing this. If that bad person is telling me to do it, it means don't do it. Do you think that's what's happening with Luke in his mind, where he could have broken the neck of Bushmaster and then changes his mind because he's being pushed to do it by Mariah Stokes? Yeah, I mean, I kind of thought he was just trying to put him into a, a sleeper hold, mm-hmm. to be honest, uh, just to sort of knock him out. But then, yeah, you get Mariah going for Luke, uh, saying, kill him, kill him, kill him, just incessantly. I love uh, Mike Coulter's uh, look here as he, as he's got this sleeper hold on him, and you kind of then sense that he is moving in for the, the crack of the neck, to be honest. And he has talked about uh, earlier in the episode about, you know, will you two just kill one another? We've heard him saying, you know, I, I'm sick of this situation. Yeah. Like, is it just that he wants to do something that he wouldn't normally do? So it actually just finishes. And Mariah is kind of egging him on here uh, with that. But then I do love the fact that Misty's voice then comes through that uh telling him to stop Mm -hmm. and so that's what i really like here that the integrity of luke cage holds up yeah yeah but speaking of an integrity that probably won't hold up Mm -hmm. um is our bullet point five where mariah is arrested and she is absolutely uh off to prison we think maybe possibly we don't know but we will hopefully find out in episode 13 but yeah here uh, Black Mariah, as I say, the gun has been kicking around, and you see at the end of this fight, everything's kind of, you know, pretty much destroyed. And Shades goes looking for this gun, finds it. And I, I love the fact that Mariah, after this fight, uh, just immediately walks out and heads for the vodka bottle um, <laughs> and sees Shades passing Misty the gun just through the reflection in, in the mirror. Um, yeah. Really, it's just such a great moment. Because it is that feeling of when she goes and reaches for that vodka bottle, it's like as if she's achieved the job. The person that she hired to do their job, Luke, has done his job and protected her from Bushmaster. It's like as if, well, that's all over, back to my normal day kind of thing. But there's a lot more to happen to Mariah. I just loved the court of public opinion will eat you alive. This is just, I was going to say, the soapbox moment for her, where she's like, this is just another example of the the police trying to take down the the self-made black woman mm-hmm. um it's like you're the court of public opinion is gonna eat you alive for trying to do this to me yeah and then you just see the sergeant walk in going well the court of law will convict you that's so simple it was just so well timed i really enjoyed that 
it was it's very much a TV comic book moment, just in pure timing. Absolutely. Okay, that's fine. I still enjoyed it. I I also just loved Maya being Maya. It's like she's getting read her Miranda rights. I know my rights. Yeah. And then when she's being escorted away, the detective takes her shoulder and starts leading her away, and she just shugs him off and just goes, "I could do walk myself." And she just kind of like just prattles along. And I'm like, "Oh God, this is going to be good." I cannot wait to see where they leave her. Option A: Are we going to get Mariah in jail beside Kingpin, or is she going to end up free? Will we just see her in the court of law? Mm-hmm. Will we just see her in court? And then it, we we don't know the the ruling until season three. We've got a few options here. Where where are you thinking? Right now, she's got Ben Donovan back on his side, and he's been known in the past in Luke Cage to be able to get someone like Cornell Stokes off all charges within an episode. Um, I don't think Cornell spent even a moment in a in a cell with Ben Donovan on his side. So we'll see what happens next episode. But I do love the idea if the end of the season is Mariah in prison beside Kingpin or close to Kingpin because it's a maximum security prison that they keep um, male and female prisoners close together. I love that idea of the two of those characters meeting in a future season of Daredevil or something like that. That would be fascinating. Yeah, that would be ultimately amazing. I really would like to see that. But I also kind of want to see Mariah get out of this um, (laughs) and end up back at Harlem's Paradise. A bit like with Wilson Fisk that, you know, Misty and Luke are kind of like, what do we have to do to take this woman down? Mm -hmm. Her superpower is that she is manipulative. As you say, she's defiant. She is the politician that always comes out smelling of roses despite being absolutely corrupt and, and everything else. It's a little bit of a downer in a sense, maybe, but I think that's just really good to still have her operating, working, ruling Harlem. And certainly with Ben Donovan, who knows what she can achieve in <laughs> in terms of um, escaping justice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, it is quite interesting when we see the confession from Shades that he effectively is talking about seven or eight murders that he's committed. And really, with Mariah, he's talking about maybe one or two. So you do wonder whether Misty's not very happy with the offer that she's made to Shades, given how many people he's been involved in the deaths of in the uh, city of Harlem. But yeah, absolutely don't know how it's going to end, but I would love to see Alfre Woodard and Vincent D'Onofrio on screen together. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you on this, Derek. I, I'm both of you, I should say. I would very much want to see her in jail because she mm-hmm. does, to a degree, in this episode... Do what Kingpin nearly couldn't do. What what Kingpin did. She does something quite impossible. Like she brings three, four rival gangs working together, talking about let's play together, let's play nice. She does what Wilson Fisk was doing back in Daredevil season one. So when mm-hmm. you you imagine getting. The two of them in a room together or in a courtyard and just seeing Vincent D'Onofrio walking over to Alfie Woodard and kind of going, we need to talk or I'm very proud of your work. Yeah. Like that is that kind of Easter egg teaser. You get it in an MCU film, but you can do that in the final shots of this or the one of the final scenes. 
of this season. So, gentlemen, I think that's about everything all of our bullet points for this episode. We've covered a majority of it. But much like a really good comic book, we always got some notes for our fellow defenders. So um, I believe, John, you've got some good notes to start off. Yes, we have DW continue with his lovely Easter egg references through his merchandise, through his T-shirts. And so we see him with this Luke Cage T-shirt with the chains uh, around, uh, inspired by that fantastic chain belt from Luke's 70s costume, Mm -hmm. the one with the tiara. Uh, We see that there in Pops Barbers uh, just after the zombie drug party that that takes place. So a nice little reference there on DW's T-shirt. It's really cool, isn't it? It's like as if he is the creator of Luke Cage or the comic book version of Luke Cage. I think it's really cool. Really enjoy it. And one note for me, just in case, because I know I talk about music quite a lot. I am connected to music quite a lot. But there's a, a comment made by Mariah in here about KRS-One being a true legend of the rap scene. I was never a huge fan of KRS-One. His rap didn't really connect to me, probably because I'm much more of a West Coast rapper with NWA and those and Ice Cube and Dr. Dre, those kind of rappers. But just to point out for anybody that doesn't know, he was one of the founding members of a group called Boogie Down Productions, this kind of collective of rappers that were all connected together. And they're considered the main inspiration for both gangster rap, which is things like the Notorious B.I.G. and uh, Tupac Shakur and Dr. Dre and N.W.A., all those side. And then the other side, which is conscious rap, which would be people like Will Smith and that kind that kind of rap scene. So uh, that's the reason why he's considered a legend is because he out of the rap that he created with his with his team, it ended off leading into two of the big sides of rap that happened in the U.S. Uh, back in the late 80s and early 90s. So just so everybody knows. Someday we're going to get rap rock. Yeah, you know, this is like Mike Shinoda just walks on stage in Ireland's <laughs> Paradise. I know it's never going to happen, but that'd be amazing. <laughs> be, it would be amazing. I'm not sure if that's ever going to happen. Chris, any notes from you? Yeah, I've got two. Um, the first one is Rosalie Carboni, played by Annabella Sciorra. Um, we see her in the art house. So she is the other female. She's the head of the Carboni mafia. Mm-hmm the Carboni family, and she's a prominent figure from the Punisher uh, kind of mythos. Uh, she was really, she played a huge part in the Punisher Warzone early kind of issues. Mm-hmm. Very interesting that we see her kind of introduced now because we do know that obviously season two of the Punisher is currently filming. This is very interesting because we do, we have heard rumors that season two of the Punisher will be inspired heavily by Warzone in terms of the themes and some of the characters and stuff. So that the fact they are introducing her here mm-hmm. could just be pure coincidence or it may be that they are just kind of testing the water with these different crime families that are going to then somehow play over to Punisher Season 2. Um, I think as so- you said throughout Luke Cage Season 2, I love the fact that this season particularly has taken elements from a lot of the other shows particularly Defenders, but has been able to weave them into the storyline so they don't stand out. Having this introduction of Carbona here in episode 12 of Luke Cage, meaning she won't have a huge part to play if she does come back in episode 13. There can't be much more that we'll see of her. So what a great way to just put her in here, have her connected, and then pick up that story with her over in Punisher. It's a really, really cool uh, introduction of the character. It wasn't a huge introduction. Uh So those who have not seen Luke Cage and go straight to Punisher season two will not have missed much. 
it'll just be one of those here's her first appearance like we used to get in comic books where you have a first yeah. appearance of a character and then it becomes a big character 10 or 20 years later yeah exactly god bless amazing fantasy there you go uh sorry for those who don't know what i'm talking about that's a spider-man reference amazing fantasy was the introduction of spider-man yes absolutely finally blink and you'll miss it ladies and gentlemen absolutely my god we had to we had to search for this we actually even had to go to the internet Mm -hmm. um we do get our Stanley cameo in this, and uh, I I will hands up say I didn't see this, and thank you, Derek, for pulling this out because this is not even blinking. You miss it. This is you'll probably just miss it because mm-hmm. you were just watching everything else. Yeah, I think even watching this on slow mo, you probably would have missed it. To be honest, it's right in the background as the posters are going up for uh, the KRS One concert in. Harlan's Paradise. It's one of the other posters on the wall as Luke walks past hundreds of posters. So you kind of knew it was going to be there. And to be honest, Chris, the only reason I found it was you talked about it back in episode eight or nine saying we still haven't seen our cameo. So I did a quick search of the internet to find out when it was coming, not what it was, just what episode. So my eyes were absolutely peeled in episode 12 trying to find this cameo. And I still didn't find it until they have the exact marker of where it happened in the episode. So there you go. Yeah, and it's funny. It's it's not Officer Lee, by the looks of things. It's something like it's a talk, Saturday, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., uh, reserve now, yes. you deserve, and something about a million. Um, it's the same character that we saw back in Jessica Jones Season 2, this new Forbush insurance man. Ah, excellent. There we go. So we have Officer Lee and uh, Stan Forbush. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can deal with that. <laughs> Let's say, why don't we move on straight into our defense, starting with John, putting you on the spot right here, right now. Do you defend Luke Cage Season 2, Episode 12? Don't front on me. Oh, wow, I do defend this episode. I give this five unsafe safe rooms out of five. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I love this. Uh, for me, there's a really epic episode um of luke cage um you know you had the action you had the big plays you had the fights it was jam-packed um you know the fight at yang's warehouse the fight in harlem's paradise but i think to me as well at the same time they really brought it intimate and personal uh between um shades and mariah with tilda and john mciver and tilda with her mother Uh, and for me the Luke Cage and Mariah conversation and the roost of Harlem's Paradise. Such a great, great scene. You know, if I was to kind of indicate what this was, this is like um Pop's chessboard, really. All the pieces were set and really, wow, were they sort of moved into attack position in this uh, episode. So absolutely defend this episode of Luke Cage. Great. Excellent. Yeah. So... Derek, do you defend this episode of Luke Cage? There's nothing more that I can say other than this season has not slowed down for me. There's been every episode has had some huge moments that I've absolutely loved. So yes, I 100% defend this episode. This is great. This is really good. Keep this up, guys, and we'll have the best Marvel series out there. If we keep it up for all the other shows, we'll have a huge collective of wonderful Marvel Netflix shows that we get to talk about. I love it. I love it. Chris, do you defend this episode? I do. Um, this 
penultimate episode is one of the, the top ones for me. Mm. For a couple of episodes this season, felt it was slowing, it was starting to drag a bit. Not as much as some of our previous seasons or other ap- other shows mm-hmm. within the, this Netflix universe. This has been the least. This is the most well put together and kind of directed and kind of edited and f- the flow, the, the the overall writing, the scripting. I have had less issues with anything on this show than I have in any other uh, season or show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that this shows in this penultimate episode. It didn't go for the, the big bang. We still got a big bang, but it didn't go for like, oh, it's all going to build up to this big massive fight. It felt natural. It felt like a, 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 a beautiful evolution of the story to what we got there. It wasn't forced. Um, and we get some resolution in terms of what we were thinking would happen. Yeah. Um, so yes, I completely defend this episode. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing the final one to see where they do go, yes. where they leave our characters for the end of this season. Yeah. How it all going to wrap up. Yeah. It's really exciting to think that we've got just one episode left of the show. And because we absolutely love hearing from our fellow defenders, gentlemen, I think it's about time we move over to some feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, over on Facebook, we've got some feedback on episode 10. John, do you want to tell us what Alex had to say? Yes, Alex Anderson says over on our Facebook group, by far my favourite episode of this season. Uh, loved the fight Luke and Danny had. Great choreography and the patty cake ending was sweet. I love that Danny has seemed to finally found his chi and is more relaxed and confident. This makes me even more excited for the next instalment of Iron Fist. Overall, I like that Danny was able to help Luke get direction in what he wants to accomplish in Harlem. Absolutely. Thank you, Alex, for the feedback on episode 10. Really good. I completely agree. A great episode uh, in this. I do really like how they've pulled in um, other Marvel Netflix shows, uh, other series uh, into this. And I think this was done really well in this episode by mm-hmm. bringing in Danny. It was a great little nod to Heroes for Hire. It really sh- showed off their chemistry as well. And I think, yes, certainly now that we have seen with San Diego Comic-Con, I'm Fist Season 2 will be upon us very shortly in September. Wow, it's uh, it's jam-packed uh, is this Marvel Netflix series for, for this year. Mm-hmm. You know, will we get another towards the end of the year? Who knows? But uh, I cannot wait to see Iron Fist Season 2 and let's hope that there is a little bit of reverse pollination here with Luke Cage coming into Iron Fist Season 2 as well. Can, can I reveal one of the secrets that was revealed at San Diego Comic-Con that we will absolutely get a big crossover from this season? We will absolutely have Misty Knight over on Iron Fist as a Daughter of the Dragon. That name was specifically called out by Jeff Loeb and by Jessica Henwick. I know it's about a week after San Diego Comic-Con, but I'm still so happy about that call out from them. We will be getting the Daughters of the Dragon in season two of Iron Fist. Perfect. Perfect news. Yes, on September 7th. So exciting. (laughs) Yeah. That is the quiver of my voice, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) This is the, I thought we were going to get a nice break, you know, just some time to recharge the batteries, go into Ant-Man, and then, you know, take a a week or two to relax. I'm like, oh no, it's September 7th. Oh, okay. By the way, we are recording this on July 21st. Uh, So essentially, we will be going straight from this into the next 
and good thing I love it. Absolutely. Yes, yes, we did say at the start of the year this is going to be the biggest year for Defenders TV podcast, and we haven't covered half the shows that are out there for Marvel. We don't cover Cloak and Dagger. We don't cover Gifted. We don't cover Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. There's so many other shows that are out there. Watching them all is almost impossible. I'm so glad we've just stuck with these wonderful Netflix Defenders shows because they're just getting better and better as we go. Exactly. 100%. So continue on with our feedback from Facebook. When talking about episode 11, Jamie Young had this to say. Love the flashbacks and especially love the imaginary Mama Mabel and Uncle Pete in Mariah's office. She's officially off her rocker and <laughs> called it. Shades is ready to take her down. I really thought he was going to kill her, but I guess that wouldn't leave much for Luke, Misty and Bushmaster to do in the final two episodes. Mm. Luke's frustration when he's talking to Ingrid is palpable. Will he be the one to kill Mariah? It's hard to imagine him crossing that line, but he's definitely inching towards it. Yes, Jamie, I have to agree with you. Yeah, the pistol piece. And especially that final line where he goes, you are beautiful. I was just like, I know everyone's skin crawled. Yes. Now that we know what we know, you're like, oh, that's just terrible. Yeah. And yes, she is officially off her rocker. Completely agree with you. Completely off her rocker, Jamie. Um, it was just uh, so good to see her embracing Raya, but also, yeah, uh, unhinging as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think we mentioned it last episode about myself and John. We're saying we wondered whether this was going to be the repeat of Cornell Stokes' murder. That effectively Shades was going to kill her on that table, that it was effective payback for the idea that she killed Cornell Stokes when he pushed her too far, that she was pushing Shades so far that he could have actually killed her at that moment. So it's a nice little bit of jeopardy there from the writers. Really good. Yeah, still on episode 11, uh, Robert Phillips says, the Shades are definitely off and Hanan is seeing clearly now. I agree, Luke feels dangerous. The hero in him has been his avoidance of revenge and his focus on justice. Now his talk of kingship. But I think his police and church roots will hold. Tilda, though, we may see her commit matricide. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Bob, thanks for the feedback. I think uh, Luke does feel dangerous here. And I think certainly in this episode, we see that play out in Mariah's lair. Uh, and that I think that's what gives that some heightened tension and importance. Um, so, yeah, really good. And Hernan, yes, crazy, maniacal, laughing, sad. Uh, what is going to happen to him? Mm-hmm. How will he play out in episode 13 i'm really intrigued definitely definitely and i do see tilda is now trying to commit matricide by using bushmaster to kill her mother yes really good points bob thanks so much for that feedback yeah we also got some feedback in on episode 12 from robert phillips as well he says well crikey that wasn't quite how i had imagined it shades actually went through with it and properly face to face turned mariah over bushmaster survived just And Tilda is not a woman to be trifled with. There was little light in this episode, with the forces of law successful, the rule of vigilante restricted, and more drug deaths. Yeah, this was a really um, great episode, uh, Robert. Um, And certainly, yeah, Shades really did go through with his threat on on Mariah. Uh, And Bushmaster truly is maybe at death's door, uh, depending on how he... Uh, survives that nightshade or concentrated nightshade uh, injection that he gave himself. Yeah, Mm -hmm. thanks so much for the feedback, Bob. Really, really appreciated. Thank you. 
What other piece of feedback over on Instagram from Civil Nation Radio? They did call me out. I'll take full responsibility for this, uh, for missing some of the awesome reggae music that's been happening throughout this season. They've really had a good finger on the pulse throughout the season of reggae music. And unfortunately, what the way we cover the podcast, having five points every episode, we could absolutely have a point every episode about the music that's going on. Um, because there's 64 tracks throughout this season. That's 20 tracks more than we're in season one. We didn't always talk about the music in season one, but genuine, genuinely, there's one that I left out that I absolutely shouldn't have left out. So, 100% praise to Civil Nation for, for calling this out. The moment when Bob Marley's song Sun is Shining, which is one of his biggest hits, was playing as Bushmaster and uh, Luke Cage face off for the first time, it really does give the scene a special feeling. Using a really summery song, a big hit that was heard around the world as that moment between these two characters coming together. It's a, a fantastic moment. There's also Barrington Levi's uh, Under Me Sensi, which is another fantastic song. But I will say that, unfortunately... We don't always have the opportunity to cover every single thing that are in these shows. I said at the beginning of this episode, there's so many moments in the show that could have made a top five point. We try and talk around them. We try and get them all in there. But we do rely on our fellow defenders to send us in your feedback about things you want to talk about in the season. Most of you see the full season before we do. So anything like this crops up, always get in contact with us. And Civil Nation Radio did give us one other really, really good point. They say, did you know there is a reggae urban legend about the song Night Nurse, which we talked about in episode three, the song by Gregory Isaacs, is rumoured to be about cocaine. Doesn't that put a bit of a different spin on the scene between Luke and Claire in episode three? Yeah, yeah, just slightly. Yeah, just a bit. And it does also kind of answer the question I did ask at the time. Why, after 10 seasons of the Marvel Netflix shows, have they never used the song to describe Claire as Night Nurse? Possibly that's the reason. Possibly they were wondering what impact that song might have by choosing it, knowing this underground legend. So uh, thanks so much for that feedback again. Yes, thank you, Civil Nation Radio. Really enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, obviously you're a fellow defender. So please continue. If you see any fantastic music going forward in any of the other seasons, such as... Who knows, there may be some reggae. Now that Danny's crossed over to Luke Cage, he may be bringing back some of the fantastic reggae music. So yes, mm-hmm. if you see any other thing, please feel free to give us some feedback. Absolutely. And as we did say on our previous podcast, unfortunately, we're pretty close to closing down our feedback for the season. So as you hear this episode, uh, we will have closed and recorded our final episode for the season. Um, But if you do want to share any thoughts with us, we do still have our spoiler posts over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. Always willing to respond and discuss with anybody if you have any points about the season at all. Pop on over there. We'll have a chat about them on there. And thanks so much to everybody that supplied their feedback for this episode and for all the episodes of the season so far. Yeah, absolutely. It is really, really appreciated um, having all your thoughts uh, on Luke Cage Season 2. Guys, we cannot do this feedback section without you. Well, obviously. <laughs> well, and we cannot do it without you. And also, you are fellow defenders. We, the, we are here to discuss our thoughts with you. We wouldn't have an audience without you. Mm. So please continue. Give us your thoughts, your feedback, your comments, your concerns, and everything under the sun. And as I told you earlier, this episode is brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium, Wolverine the Long Night. Fellow Defenders, you've heard me talk about this show. You've heard me talk about Stitcher Premium. Wolverine the Long Night is a brilliantly scripted 10-episode podcast that you can listen to exclusively over on Stitcher Premium. And do you know what? We love you so much. 
Stitcher Premium loves you so much that you can get one month free by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the code DEFENDERS. Listen to all 10 episodes. Let us know your thoughts because also we know you love podcasts. We know you love comics. And the more you listen to that, the more seasons they make. Yeah. And just to mention that Stitcher Premium offer is open till September. So by the time we're talking about Iron Fist, that offer will be closed. So uh, you have a bit of time in our tiny break that we're going to have between Ant-Man and the Wasp and Iron Fist Season 2 to listen to some wonderful Marvel scripted podcasts and some other great stuff over on Stitcher Premium. So uh, just to remind you, thanks so much for joining us this week, fellow defenders. Really good to have you with us. Yes, we will be back with our review of Luke Cage, episode 13, the final episode they reminisce over you, and that will come out on Tuesday. And we are certainly going to be reminiscing about this season for many years to come, I think. Definitely. Yes, thank you so much, fellow Defenders, and we'll see you soon. As always, fellow Defenders, it has been a pleasure speaking with you. I'm off to go and smash someone's head into a 54-inch TV screen, <laughs> uh, and then I will speak with you again soon. Just make sure you've watched the episode before you smash the TV. Well, I'm that is true. That Fellow Defenders, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. You think I'm holding back? I like the moment a little bit earlier as well, where he's kind of fast asleep on the table. Priscilla and Misty are behind the the screen, the two way glass, <laughs> the one way glass. Yeah, because two way yeah, glass. 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 <laughs> I know. I was like, uh. <clears throat> and I, I, I'm not saying that I agree with shades, mm, but I like his position. In that he's like, there's rules. You mm-hmm. play by the streets of the rules. You do not break the streets of the rules. The what? The streets of the rules. <laughs> you do not break the rules of the streets. Um, yes. There is rumors that Warzone may be a an element of what they are pulling for season two. So who knows? Horse. <laughs> you could tell as John moved his head. Yeah, exactly. That's why he's like, he's clickly clucking.